the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus answered their question by noting that the only work acceptable to God is to believe in Him whom He has sent. That's very straightforward, isn't it? And you're probably not too surprised that that is exactly what Pastor Leighton Sheely would say regarding your salvation. He's back in the book of John today. We're jumping back into John on this Thursday and again on Friday as we present another edition of Study Verse by Verse from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. I'm Mike Trout. So glad you've joined us as we approach the end of the week. If you're new to this ministry, you can find out more about us on the web at studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. If you can follow along, Pastor Layton is going to be in the sixth chapter of the book of John, picking up, well, right here. Verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered into the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So gradually it dawned on the crowd that something had happened. They remember there had been no other small boat there except the one that the disciples had come on and the disciples had departed on, and they couldn't find Jesus. So they went to Capernaum, which made sense because that was Jesus' home base for ministry when he was doing ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Verse 23 is provided to explain how the small boats came to transport that crowd back to Capernaum. It doesn't tell us why uh, they came, but it does tell us how they came. And uh, Capernaum was a small town, and it didn't take them very long to find Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, they greeted him as rabbi, as teacher, which is not insignificant in this context. Just the day before, he had done something that teachers can't do, and yet they refused to acknowledge that he was more than just a teacher. They addressed him as rabbi, not as the divine son. And though they had sought him out, they didn't seek him out for the right reasons. They, they didn't follow him to worship him, but rather they had experienced personal benefit from uh, his, uh, his work among them, and they wanted more from him. They wanted him to serve them. They didn't want to serve him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
So as with Nicodemus, Jesus ignores their greeting and their first question. He says, I tell you the truth, and he moves straight to the important thing, which is recognizing the true motives of these people. He speaks sharply against them. He says, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He laid bare their materialistic and selfish hearts. If they had seen and and come to him on the basis of the signs, they would have had at least some faith. It's not the best kind of faith, but at least it's some faith. But these people had no faith at all. They were simply materialists. And uh, they came because their physical hunger had been filled, and they wanted more. And what Jesus says is, instead of working for the food that perishes, I fed you yesterday, you're hungry again today, get a hint. Instead of working for the food which perishes, Jesus exhorted them to pursue the food that endures to eternal life. Although he was interested in their physical well-being, he was more interested in their spiritual well-being because our spiritual well-being is more important from eternity's perspective than our physical well-being. And then he points to himself not so much as being the literal source of food, but to himself being the bread of life. They needed to seek spiritual nourishment from the Son of Man, which only the Son of Man can give. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, the affixing of a seal was common in antiquity as a mark of ownership. You remember that most people were illiterate, but they could recognize a sign or a symbol. And the seal attested to ownership. Remember how they would create a document and they would drip some wax on it and sometimes a person with a ring or something would put a seal into that wax and that, uh, that displayed ownership. It also indicated authenticity. The owner was authenticating that the document or the article was true. And that is the meaning here, that the Father has set his seal of approval on Jesus Christ the Son. In response to Jesus' command in verse 27... The people said to him, what shall we do that we might do the works, works of God? They filtered Jesus' words through their own warped minds and thought, and, uh, and, the, and they, they wanted to find out what they needed to do in order to attain or obtain eternal life. That was a question that Jesus was often asked. For instance, the rich young ruler said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? And in Luke 10, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It was a question that was oftentimes asked of Jesus. In their minds, salvation was the result of fulfilling some task that could be checked off a task list. What shall I do so that I can be assured that I have eternal life? They looked at salvation as being the result of their own effort. Now, true salvation is not by works. Jesus answered their question by noting that the only work, singular work, acceptable to God is to believe in Him whom He has sent. Believe in Jesus Christ who God the Father hath sent. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reads, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Even your ability to believe in Jesus Christ, even that is a gift 
from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, if we were to stop reading the Bible at that point, we would, might conclude that there is no connection between salvation and good works. But if we keep reading, the very next verse says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So the Bible does teach that there is a relationship between good works and salvation. But it's not the relationship some of us have been taught or some of us have come to understand. The Bible does not teach, does not teach that good works produces or results in salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches that salvation should always result in good works. That's the relationship between the two. The Apostle James says, A faith that does not produce fruit is dead. And so Jesus replaces the works of God, plural, with the work of God, singular. He's saying there's only one thing that is necessary. And that is faith. They must believe in him. Now, the word believe there is in the present continuous tense. It indicates it's not a singular decision. It's not like one day all of a sudden you come and make a decision that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is an ongoing decision process. It is a phrase that indicates that every moment, day by day, to live in Jesus, to live in his will, to serve him, and not the other way around. Jesus said, believe in him that has sent. The, the crowd did not believe in that Jesus. They had a, an idea, their own, of what the Messiah would look like, and Jesus didn't fit their, their idea. And when that happened, they rejected Jesus as their Savior. They didn't put their faith in him as God had provided him. They did not believe in him whom God the Father had sent. They were looking for somebody that was acceptable to them. And people still do that today. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I'll believe in Jesus when, or I'll believe in Jesus if, and they put in some kind of a qualifier, some self-seeking, self-benefiting criteria that Jesus must meet. Well, what about you? Is that your paradigm on your relationship with Jesus? That... Uh, You'll accept him if he comes under your terms and conditions, does what you want, benefits you, serves you, or do you receive him whom God has sent, who is the Lord? He's the boss. We're not. He knows best. We don't. He doesn't serve us. We serve him. Now, sometimes we're caught in a storm in life. Sometimes the storm is of our own making. An example of that would be Jonah. And uh, sometimes we're caught in a storm not because of disobedience, but because of obedience. And when we are caught in a storm because we've been obedient, we can be assured that Jesus, our Savior, will come to us and deliver us. He comes to us in times of storm. In fact, that's when he becomes more real to us than other times. Because it's in those times of storm when we are desperate, when we appreciate and understand the reality of Jesus Christ and his salvation to us and for us. 
when we're being beat on by the storms of life, we're ready to give true attention, real attention to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we'll pick it up right there when we come back on Friday with another edition of Study Verse by Verse. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, featuring the teaching of Pastor Leighton Sheely. And I'm Mike Trout. We're on the web at studyversebyverse.com. That's the website for this particular ministry. The church is on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. We're a nonprofit outreach of the church and Um, As so many ministries say, we depend upon your financial support to continue. Let me add to that, that you will benefit if you're looking for a ministry to become a part of, something you can support uh, beyond, of course, your local church. Please consider this daily visit from Church of the Highlands. It would mean a great deal to us, and I believe it would mean a great deal to you. Again, You can give when you go to the website at studyversebyverse.com. We'll continue in the book of John, the sixth chapter, tomorrow at this same time. Join us if you can as Pastor Leighton Sheely opens the Word of God and helps us study verse by verse. This program is sponsored by Church of the Highlands in San Bruno.